Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm super, super pumped to introduce you today to a friend of mine. I love getting to have dear friends on the podcast. And today I'm going to be speaking with Claire Kumar, who helps highly sensitive professionals optimize their performance. Being a highly sensitive person herself, Claire understands the challenges and superpowers that come with this trait that affect about 20% of people. Drawing on her love of science, Claire encourages greater respect for neurodiversity, leading to sustainable contributions, fulfilling lives, and bottom line results. Welcome to the show, Claire. Oh, thanks. It's always great to see you, Kristen. Um, I'm really, really excited about this conversation today because I I think it's really important. Um, But before we start getting into even defining and understanding highly sensitive people a little bit better, Let's start by giving our audience an opportunity to know a little bit more about you and your journey and your story and what got you to this work you're doing in the world. Oh, well, thank you. You know, that that mention about science explains a little bit of why I started my educational career really with a degree in biology. So I finally, it finally kind of makes sense, you know, 30 something years later. (laughs) So I followed my interest, but I realized I didn't want to be, well, it's not that I didn't want to be, partly didn't want to be a doctor, decided a teaching system was going to be too constrained for me and couldn't still the smell of formaldehyde so I wasn't going to work in a lab and uh, took a degree then in business administration and fell in love with marketing so interesting career all through primarily marketing primarily telecom but really I got to explore a lot of different things so a year in finance where I learned it wasn't for me (laughs) Um, sales support product development internal communication, one of my most favorite jobs and and, an amazing experience in loyalty marketing, which was cutting edge marketing way back in 95, 96, and uh, uh, led teams, worked internationally, Tokyo, Toronto, Montreal, and, uh, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed very much a lot of the learning and development and challenge of the corporate world, but found the construct to be very uh, overwhelming. And I didn't have the language for high sensitivity at the time, but I had in um, 2001, I had my son, 2003, my daughter. And it was after I had my daughter, I realized I needed to change something. And I decided to really explore, looking back, I did this joy inventory of all the jobs that I'd had, whether it was high tech or volunteering for a startup, um, uh, entrepreneur, um, startup organizations, whatever it was, I came back and I figured out that actually serving tables as a waitress <laughs> way back when I was putting myself through the second business program was really some of the greatest fulfillment I had. 
And I thought, what's that about? So I, uh, I, I realized it was this ability to transform an experience in a short time, which totally connects to what I do now as a coach, right? And the part I liked too was, you know, you got tipped well right afterwards based on the degree of impact you had. So I realized my attention span might be short and, and my need for impact was high. And so, you know, in 2005, when my kids were little, I started an organizing and productivity practice when I lived in Montreal. And I fell in love with using my innate skill for creating order and working with people. And so, you know, having those before and after transformations, you know, right in front of me. And uh, it wasn't until people were telling me that your work is deeper than just moving stuff around. It's life transforming. And it was two clients, one who was a life coach and one who was a uh, corporate employee who asked me to coach them that inspired me to go and get formal coach training, which I did at Royal Roads, um, I guess it's seven years ago now, and just love it. So brings me to today where really there's nothing in my calendar I'm not looking forward to. So I feel really blessed about that. Uh, I'm on stage or virtual on screen talking about organization, productivity, diversity, expanding diversity and inclusivity to include neurodiversity and high sensitivity in particular. Um, yeah, and uh, working with individuals and now teams. Um, I'm, I have a 12-month engagement with an education institution coming out where I'm coaching their leadership team. So just loving all of what's opening up. And, uh, you know, uh, the last point is I, li I live this. My, I took a day off on the weekend, but my day off was reading the book Golden, which is all about silence, you know, the value of silence in a noisy world. Just, I'm hungry for all this stuff and I get to bring that and serve. And so lots of great joy as I imagine a lot of that relates to what you do too, Kristen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so cool, Claire, because I think there's a lot of reasons why you and I are good friends and connect, but it's so interesting to see those different pivots on your journey. Uh, I hadn't made the connection until you were talking about, I also loved waitressing for multiple reasons, but it, like, it really had a huge impact on me and just even terms in what it looks like to create amazing experiences for people mm -hmm. and also fully connect and you get to connect and be with all of these different people. And as someone who is incredibly curious, it really fulfilled that need of curiosity. And I think what you're also noticing with, with, as a coach, there wasn't really the wording back in the day around, this is what it means to coach, but you and I probably have been coaching for many, many, many years without having a label for that's what we're doing. Because a lot of times it's even just deeply connecting to the human in front of you and hearing and being present and creating space for powerful dialogue. I think so. I think there's something intuitive about it. And even in choice of words, I mean, people have said, have you been trained in NLP? I'm like, I have not. Well, you're using NLP language. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't explain what I'm doing. But the trait of high sensitivity, one of the things in there is that we have um, a higher number of mirror neurons than other people. And so we're innately wired to connect. So if I see you not, if I see you nodding, I might nod too. If I see you put your hand here, it might just happen that I'll put my hand there. We don't have to work at these 
natural things which build rapport, which is amazingly powerful in coaching, as you will know, to like to build that connection within seconds. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. And so starting off, just talking a bit more about high sensitive people, am I saying it properly? High sensitive people. Highly sensitive, people, highly sensitive, HSPs, highly sensitive yeah. people, yeah. HSP. I'm gotten so used to um, saying HSP. So mm -hmm. start off by just helping us understand what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? And how does it show up both, you know, in the world at large and in organizations yeah. as well? Yeah. So as you said, 20% of people on average, but if you look in different verticals, healthcare, um, counseling, therapy, arts, uh, what I've been noticing in the coaching population and in the organizing and productivity world, it's more like 50, 60%. So please, if you're in an organization where you're very clear that empathy and compassion is part of what you do, or creativity is part of what you offer, look for much higher levels of high sensitivity within your population. So it's actually a trait. It's a normal way of being but it's included within the realm of being neurodivergent, which means non-typical in the way the brain works. So at on average 20%, that means four out of five people aren't like highly sensitive people. So even though it's normal, it's, um, it's a little bit tricky because uh, the neurodivergent um, conditions, disorders, ways of being that exist, a lot of them come with diagnoses or someone you know may not even be able to access a diagnosis because they can be expensive to actually get to that point but when you've got that label perhaps adhd or autism dyslexia tourette's there are accommodations available to you but highly sensitive people are kind of under the radar in fact there are a lot of neurodivergent conferences and awareness days that I'm sticking my hand up going, what about HSPs? It's not one in seven, it's one in five. And it's interesting that high sensitivity is often very present in these other neurodivergent conditions as well. So it's worth, worth sort of understanding a little bit that broad scope. It's really evenly split between men and women. You will find that within the highly sensitive population, 70% are introverted. 30% are extroverted. Mm -hmm. So this is probably why you and I get along as well. We like meeting people. We like connecting with people. The challenge, if you're highly sensitive, and I'll take you through the, the key elements of the trait, is that it can be also overwhelming to be an extrovert and out in the world because being out in the world invites all of that experience, and it can often be very, very overwhelming. So let me take you through my version of what Dr. Elaine Aaron came up with and identified as key, key elements in the trait back in 1996. If anybody wants to go back and start really where, where Dr. Elaine Aaron did the work, she's got a book called The Highly Sensitive Person. And the 25th anniversary edition, the one in yellow behind me there, mm -hmm. came out last year. And uh, it's brilliant to get an understanding. Um, so there's a model, I like to call it the SEED model, S-E-E-D, because I like to think that highly sensitive people have everything within them that they need. And I like the analogy of having that SEED. Yeah. Now you mentioned off the top, strengths, 
and challenges. Yeah, I call them strengths and struggles that we have. And each element of seed brings different strengths and different struggles. So S stands for sensitivity to subtle stimuli to any stimuli. If you're sensitive to the subtle stimuli, you're sure sensitive to the loud ones too, right? So we have this ability to, to notice what's going on. We'll catch the energy shift in a room. We'll catch the humidity rising. We'll feel the texture on the inside of a pocket and think, I don't want to use that. We'll feel the tag on our shirt. You'll, if you're like me, you will have declined reading a book for your book club because the paper was too rough. <laughs> And people might think you're a little hard to please, a little difficult, but this is the this, this sensual sensory input that we have can be, we are so heightened to it that it's taxing. So it's like our, our nervous systems are always on, sensitive, yes, perceptive and responsive as well. The strength in this noticing is we will be the eyes and ears that really have a pulse on what's going on we will sense so when i was organizing for example and a parent might say well my kid never puts the stuff in the laundry hamper there's always clothes on the floor and i would suggest perhaps taking the lid off the hamper because then when you know making it a game of basketball and tossing the clothes into the hamper there wasn't a barrier that barrier i call them speed bumps when they're internal or externally roadblocks to things happening they're sometimes there, but we don't notice them, but they can be in our way. So as a coach, I spent a lot of time looking for those and listening for those. So the noticing is a, is a total superpower. The first E is for empathy. And I know in your work, you must have been talking a lot more about the need and the leadership need for empathy. I've been giving leadership workshops through the pandemic. And at first, when I was talking about this soft, hard skill, if you're not innately wired to be empathetic, it's some, it's a, it, you have to build a practice of it, right? But highly sensitive people are naturally empathetic. We are the people that we see something and we're immediately feeling the other person's experience. So it's wonderful because again, it's that tuning into others and what might be needed. It can also be given the events of the past few months in particular, incredibly emotionally draining so we might have to limit how much information we're taking in or the format no nightly news videos thank you very much yeah yeah the second e is emotionally responsive so brain imaging will show that our brains light up with all of the emotions that we feel so we can be at the positive, incredibly self-aware. We can also be, if we're not grounded, centered, well taken care of, we can become triggered and unleashed. And I think this is what I think may have happened to Will Smith at the Oscars. And then you see an eruption of emotion an expression and on reflection, a grounded centered person would have been able to perhaps choose something else. So there's a lot of work for highly sensitive people. And this is something I do in the group that I run and, and the coaching that I do is to build the skill to regulate not only ourselves, but also regulating what's around us to the, to the sense, uh, to the, in a way we can, or choosing what you partake in, right? Just figuring out if it's designed, is, is a system set up for you? Right. 
new position needs to look at it and say, am I set up for success here? Or is there something here that's just, there's no way anyone will be successful in here. So looking for the conditions within which you'll thrive can mean less tax on you going through everything. So uh, I want to pause you for a sec. I don't want to lose this yeah. it's reminding me so much of, um, cause my, my son definitely has HSP and we work a lot with self-regulation and co-regulation because he's nine and it's beautiful, the co-regulation, but it's reminding me <laughs> what we did in terms of not setting ourselves up for success. When we went to Disney world, it's mm-hmm. so intense for him. It's overstimulation mm-hmm. times a thousand. And so what does that look like? Okay. Maybe we're going to go for four hours for, of the day and then go out somewhere where we're completely in quiet, as opposed to putting him in an environment like that for 12 hours, it's too intense and too much for him. Can I, can I just say, I totally inflicted this on my kids. They were three <laughs> and five yes. and my friend, Andrea Canny, lover to bits. She was working at Disney. She's like, I can get you in for the day. So we had yeah. one day, yes. we're going to maximize the heck out of this. Right. right? So you can imagine these two kids at 10 o'clock at night with fireworks. And both my kids are highly sensitive with different expressions. Yes. And we're carrying these kids who are tired. Their hands are over their ears. They don't want to see a fireworks show. Like, yes. What? You crazy parents. What are you doing? So, and then having to carry your child from the fireworks back to the trail, the monorail or whatever. Yeah. I remember. I remember that. Yeah. Disney is Disney. If you're going to plan something like that, there have to be, and actually I would love to talk to, I know somebody who was working at Disney and talking about design, where are the oasis of calm for sensory restoration in the day, which then leads to the workplace and episode two of the podcast that I launched all on this topic as well, talks to HOK global architects and designers and planners. And we talk a lot about having diversity of environment in the workplace and having opportunities for rest. So yeah, there's opportunity in the design as well to invite everybody um, to rest. I mean, and the other thing I'll just throw in here is a point of expanding who you're thinking about when you think, do I need to care about this sensitivity? Right. You know, traumatic brain injury, um, PTSD, all of these high anxiety, all of these things actually lead to situational or potentially temporary sensitivity. So there's a much broader population that will benefit than the 20% that are likely um, highly sensitive. So thinking about your population in terms of, you know, we know that a lot of people want to stay working from home. What do you think that's to do with? That's to do with a lot of overwhelm, not potentially just in an open concept office, but also in the whole act of getting to work. If we measure the micro stress and major stress in traffic delays, 17 inch subway seats, a down coat in minus 32 walking, you know, there are a lot of challenges that that present. I was exhausted and why I left the corporate world is I wasn't able to continue working from home. I had to go through a commute that drained me and my kids were in a daycare in the other direction. It was just too much. So yeah, so design of our environments and using what we participate in and having autonomy, super important for sensitive people and anybody going through any kind of um, sensitivity. So I can bring you back now to D and that's depth of processing. 
So depth of processing looks like creativity. It looks like connecting the dots. It looks like deep problem solving. For that work, as Cal Newport would call it, deep work, you often need to have an environment that really sets your brain up for success. For a lot of people, that's a quieter environment. I won't say purely no noise because that's not normal in our experience, but very quiet. And then you can get this rich thinking. You might take a little longer, but you can invite that connection. You can't rush it. Give me a good idea, Kristen. I want 10 good ideas right now, right now. Can you give me a, you know? Sometimes we need a little patience for this. And the challenge though, is that our highly sensitive people can be connecting so many dots that they've lost the picture and we're spinning in possibility. And we need to have strategies to simplify some of the decisions and uh, that's worked for me in choosing speaking gigs that I say immediate yes to, or other ones that I decide, nope, this is one to negotiate. Um, but uh, depth of processing is a, can be a real asset too in the, in the realm of the traits that show up. You know, I love when you talk about seed and the, the, the model and what it's all about and everything that we talked about here, I can see how it's very much in tandem. The individual can be doing things to think about what best supports them, but then the organization, there's so many, uh, taking a step back choices and reflections they can be making. Even as I was hearing you talk about, um, you know, the environment that the workplace is doing or the Disney's, or I'm thinking even a conference provider when, uh, when they're designing a conference, what are you doing? Um, I, I'm actually, even as we're noticing, I'm like, I see, I can even see elements of myself with HSP as an extrovert that I just notice sometimes it's so much intense information. And I think that we learn sometimes on our own coping mechanisms. And I know you and I have been like this at a conference where we think, you know what, my brain is pretty full right now. I don't need another session right now. Let's go sit in the lobby and talk for the next hour. But, you know, in terms of mindsets, the mindset as a high achiever, doer, ambitious, it's like, no, you need to, but I've learned over the years, that's not serving me when I start to notice that my body's like, that's enough right now. I pull myself out and then do something to get, you know, one-on-one conversation or go for a walk and then do that throughout the conference, because I don't want to leave the conference. It's going to take me two days of recovery because of the intensity. Oh yeah. The number of conferences I've fallen sick and been in bed at is off the charts. Um, and, and just learning over time to navigate it and, you know, celebrate the joy of missing out, not the fear of missing out, right? Jomo, not FOMO. So that, and, and there's a constant struggle. Yes. As someone who's ambitious and a hungry learner, but you know, as you would know, active listening uses a lot of brain cells and brain glucose and, it's drawing down our energy. So we need, yes, we need to refuel and rehydrate, but we also need to stop the incoming for a period of time. That's why I'd really like to see more restrooms be restrooms at work and have places for pause where you can, you don't necessarily need to sleep, but taking breaks throughout the day to restore even five minutes, horizontal eyes closed. Wow. Wow. You can do a lot of things in a short time to really ground and center again. But I found 15 to 20 minutes and the power nap being an amazing, amazing tool. It's like a brain reboot. Yes. All your files know how to find each other yeah. again. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. 
So when we start to talk about organizations, and again, you and I are very passionate about this when we start to think about humanizing workplace, because workplaces are filled with a bunch of humans. And again, those skills that we're talking about when we start to look at empathy and being a mindful leader and being fully present and, mm-hmm. and listening and all of these really important skills, these are the human skills. And I believe the most important skills, because without this, as your foundation, it doesn't matter about the other things in terms of business outcomes. When we start to see the great resignation, which I've been calling the great awakening, because it is like individuals are recognizing what they're willing to tolerate. Now organizations are having to take a step back and also ask, how am I contributing to these situations? Elon, how are you doing with this question? Can we talk, honey? Like, yeah, Yeah. I see a lot of leaders and, and, you know, my expertise is in productivity, right? Productivity and sustainable performance. That's yes. what my deep learning is in. Yes. And I've really come to believe productivity is personal. Yeah. So for any leader that's holding on to that, well, I work best in the office. Therefore, I think my people should just get their butts into the chairs, the chair, the derriere into the chair, if you want to be, you know, francophone about it. I think it's, it's a blind spot. It's a blind spot to assume that other people work the way you do. You know, having coached hundreds of people on performing at their best and looking at the way brains are wired, there are so many different and rich ways to get to the same result or even better results if you allow for different approaches. So yeah, there there needs to be some room for, um, you know, we talk a lot about it being about control I really think it's a lot more about convenience. It's like, I remember when I was forbidden to work from home after successfully proving that I could do my job from home and my job was 90% on the telephone. Back in the day, we didn't have video conferencing and I could do my job 90%. And I said, I'll come in 50% and any meeting you want. Nope, sorry. I want you in the office. Even if I'm traveling, I want you in the office. So some control, but I also think convenience because we didn't have, we did have call forwarding to the cell phone and I was working in, in telecom. We had one number identification and things like that, but we weren't, we weren't thinking about, we weren't, we were thinking, I just want to know where my team is and I don't want to work harder as a leader. Asana just recently, another example of not working hard enough as a leader to allow for the autonomy that will let your team thrive. They had a, I think it was maybe the first, it was written up in the, in the press. They had a hybrid meeting of the leadership team. So some people were in a room and some people were remote. And it turned out that people in the room were talking over each other and there was no successful integration of the remote people. So their solution was not, hmm, Should we look at our culture of communication and respect and see how we might infuse a better model to inclusivity for people in the room at home? It was, we're just not going to do this. We're not going to do any hybrid meetings. It all has to be all or nothing. So that means then that you've got 20 people on the team. You've got 19 people in the office and one away. It's now a remote meeting. You've now sucker punched the reason for coming into the office and the social connection and sidebar conversations and everything. Like, no leaders, you need to do more work. You need to be more intentional. You need to think about how you're designing the experience so that people want to be part of it. Right. And, uh, you know, I think we need, we now need in meetings, you know, we need the task focus. 
we need also the time focus, a timekeeper, and we need an inclusivity prime mm-hmm. in every meeting mm-hmm. to make sure that we're making sure that the people remote can still hear. Can they, are they with us? And can we, do they have anything to say? They have to make the, the invisible visible. In my or home organizing practice, we need to, I'm thinking it applies here now. I call it VAMP. It has to be visible, accessible, manageable, and pleasing. Yeah. All of your way you organize something and arrange something. Yeah. yeah, you need to see who's there. You need to make them easy to access. You need to make, make it possible and manageable to, to spotlight a person who's on screen and make it visible to everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. And you need to make the whole experience pleasing. Otherwise, ain't nobody going to want to be there. Well, and I think what you spoke to is really important. And it's around that, first of all, it's not all or nothing, right? It's either this or that. It's like, yes, and so what does it look yes. like if that didn't work? Yeah. What, how can we expand on this? What did work? And I think the other thing I see a lot is um, too many, too many times making assumptions around what people think and what people want without actually asking the questions. And this, we show, this shows up a lot with hybrid and there isn't, there is not. And I I know everybody listening knows this because you're going and talking about this in the organization. There is no one size fits all because we're unique humans. And yes, does that mean, well, there's going to be no decisions that this is what we're doing across the board. Yes. Let's be realistic here. There are going to be some things in terms of how an organization is running. We're, we're going to say, yeah, these, these are our holidays or, you know, different things. However, there are times where it's, it's really going to serve that individual better to be doing their work from home, to speak to the environmental. They're having to do deep thinking if they're needing to have that strategy time, if they're needing their white space, um, what that looks like for that individual to be able to do that effectively and somebody else, it's not the same. And so, so talk to me a little bit, I think, I want to start with the organization. And then I'd like to actually talk about a little bit more um, on an individual level. Sure. I get a lot of people listening to this podcast are high performers, right? So mm-hmm. they love productivity. They're a little bit addicted sometimes to productivity. And I love your connection because I talk a lot about this as well. It's around sustainability and it's not about sacrificing one over the other. Oh, I'm highly productive and I'm ambitious and I'm achieving everything. Yet my life is very low down on the the totem pole. I'm not spending time with others. Um, I'm not being there for my relationships, all that kind of stuff. We can have well-being and productivity together. And I know you also talk about this. We can have both. Well, well-being is a foundational piece of productivity. Exactly. Exactly. So talk to me about about this. Uh, You tell me where you want to start. We can talk about it from an organizational level in terms of how they support that, or we can start at the individual Mm. level around what they're doing to be able to honor that, wherever you're feeling called. (laughs) Let's talk at the organizational level, because one of the things that I think is really important to understand, we were not taught how to be organized coming up through school, unless it just happened through really fantastic role modeling. We were not taught, we're still not taught how to be well organized in school. So if you've had time management training, yay, you've got a piece of it. There's a lot involved in managing or structuring your schedule so that it serves you, but it's structuring your space, structuring your tools, thinking about communication. It's you know, it's much more complicated than people think. And that point that productivity is personal, 
no one approach works for everybody. No one office chair serves all bodies, yeah. you know? And so we need to, we need to think about how do we support people? If you've got a high performer who you recognize is just not keeping up with deadlines, not um, communicating effectively, this is the kind of coaching I do because it's amazing. There's a greatest assumption and somebody in my family just says this, I don't understand why anybody needs your services. Like, why don't people just get, like, I don't understand why they don't understand how to organize their time and space. So it's like that bias again. If I can do it, why can't somebody else do it? And there are, there are depths of skill that have um, sometimes been built through curiosity or problem solving in my case to calm my world down. Uh, and there are different levels of motivation. So there's an axis of skill and motivation at play. And you can have somebody who is, oh my gosh, I just love another opportunity to organize something and make it efficient. And I'm really jazzed for that. And I'm motivated and inspired. And I'm really committed to that. And you can have somebody else that is like, oh yeah, I'd like to get that done, but I have no energy to figure out how to structure it. And so there's a gap somewhere. You have a, the people I work with most, I call them wishfully organized. They see it, yes. but they don't know how to get there. And so it's building, it's building practical skills around, oh my gosh. I mean, one of the biggest, most profound things that this is organization and individual in tandem, right? Because what is your culture saying right now in terms of response time required to resp respond to an email or a text or an incoming request? What is your culture saying? Is it like one of the big box stores that of my very first coaching client used to demand their organization a one hour return um, time limit on email? Like, do you not understand what you're doing to cortisol for everybody? Yeah. in their day, right? People are not allowed to turn off in the construct. We now, because of Amazon and the wonderful convenience of it, have an expectation that why should I have to wait more than two or three hours for something? Pick up in two hours at the store, you know? <sighs> settle down, settle down. You know, when I'm coaching people, we have an hour and 90 minutes together, depending. And I said, so you're not taking a call here, right? I need you to do this every day. I need you to give yourself and I need the organization to support this. 90 minutes in the morning, for sure, at the beginning of the day, get your own roadmap attended to before you're putting out fires everywhere else, being able to focus on something meaningful, right? But the organization has to, has to talk about that being important and preserving focus time. A second one in the afternoon, if you can get it you are winning. If you've got three hours of uninterrupted work time, that's great. Beyond that, your brain's going to be tired anyway. So then you can have some of the engaged shorter tasks and you can pop in a power nap. But we need our cultures to make it okay to, to take the focus time and to take the restorative time and to build that psychological and neurological safety into the day. And, you know, I think that's where I see such a big disconnect, Claire, is the words they say, yeah, we, we, you don't need to be in back-to-back -back meetings. We support you doing right. Yet The right. culture doesn't support that. Right. Sometimes they're saying, 
we don't have meetings on Wednesdays or we don't have meetings on Fridays. And the people who are booking the meetings in Wednesdays and Friday are the senior leadership team that are, so they're saying one thing and, but they're not creating a culture. I'm going to use the word culture here. Cause that's where I feel like really supports it. That that's actually built in for that to happen so that I can't tell you how many Claire, where it really is back-to-back meetings to the oh, points yeah. that they have to then work later on sometimes in the evenings after the kids have gone to bed because where are they doing the to-do items or action items from all the meetings they've been in back to back all day yeah so here's the other piece of that and this was happening back in telecom when i in 2001 same thing same thing the moms i was witnessing they would work there eight to five they would go home get dinner on the table and they would work nine till midnight and i lobbied the coo of the company saying can we have like reduced work weeks or flexible work weeks or something? Because I'm seeing people frying before my eyes. So um, uh, I wanted to make another important point about, um, about you know, the culture of, of supporting what needs to happen. Oh, two things. So one rest, we need restrooms that people are actually encouraged to use. So how are you? talking about rest. Oh my gosh, I remember when I started in telecom, I pulled another all nighter. How many did you do this week, right? It was grit and extreme self-sacrifice. That's what we talked about. No one came in and said, "Oh man, I had the best sleep." Oh man, I just took a nap in the afternoon. Look at me. I got creases on my cheek, but look <laughs> at how my brain's working now, right? So, what if we talked about? What if we made a commitment to talk about the acts that are actually driving stamina, not deterioration and burnout, right? So that's number one. Um, oh gosh, and I keep slipping that. Th- th- well, the second one is we think that planning aiming to 100% full of a calendar is a good idea. Right now, at best, we're like at 115% for most people. So we're trying to jam in, we're double booked, triple booked, we're running, we're doing things on the weekend and the evenings and so on because we're aiming for 100. Guess what, folks? You need to be aiming for 85. You need to be aiming for 85 because that will allow you time to respond to fires. It will allow you to put a nap in if you need it. It will allow you to also say, oh my God, this opportunity is so good, we're gonna jump on it. And so there'll be breath. Just as you need breath in your space to feel comfortable, you need breath in your calendar. So leaders managing workload, talk about the elephant in the room and really understanding this is where individual skill at mapping their task to their calendar, to be able to actually visually look at it and go, I don't have any time to take anything on or, or yes, I do, because the individual deep work needs to show up in the calendar as well as all the meetings. And most, mostly it's not. It's showing up as the two hours or three hours in the morning or afterwards. But if we actually think about the time we need and block it in the calendar for ourselves and for our commitments, we can then go to our leader and say, actually, I'm already 115%. There is a problem. And then the leader has to, has to design the work, not to overwhelm the employee, but to invite the best contributions. 
Exactly. And I think that's where part of that onus is. And it goes both ways, right? It's that individual that's deciding this is what the calendar looks like. This is what I'm proactively by design Mm -hmm. creating. And then I'm going to also have conversations when it gets to the point I'm done, I'm drowning. I don't, I can't take any more on. What are we going to, what's going to happen here? Are there other people where we can delegate the work? No, we already have other people who are also feeling like they're drowning. Well, then something needs to happen. We need to hire another person and, or, or, Maybe we need to deprioritize some of our goals and we can't have all 10 goals in 2022. Maybe it's going to be five, right? It's being realistic around. I think when we start to really take a step back and I, I mean, I see this, I'm sure you've seen this with some of the senior leadership teams where the number of priorities, I'm like, no, 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 no. We need yeah. to drill down. I, we can't have this many priorities. What truly are priorities? And yeah. then now we're going to get super focused on this. We're going to have everybody now aligned with these priorities. What I also see when that's not happening up here at the senior leadership team is, okay, this is the priority. Now we've moved over here and now we're going to go over here. Now we're moving back over here. It doesn't optimize. It creates inefficiency. And anyone with HSP, even more so, I'm thinking like how intense that is for them when they're constantly being moved all all over the place and there is no focus. Well, yeah, because a lot for highly sensitive people in particular, we are very attached to value aligned work and as being full of empathy, we care so much about that quality output, we might step towards perfectionism, we might step towards people pleasing and keeping everybody happy. And depending on the level of self assurance, self confidence, self worth, self expression, and practice what I call playing graceful defense, coupled with these time management skills, then we can step into self-advocacy in, 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 in an effective way. But a lot of people, they try it. As, is, and then there's, there's the question, is the leader listening effectively? One of my coaching clients told me um, a few months ago about, she said, she put her hand up and said, yeah, I'm drowning. I really can't take any more on. And the leader sent her an email with more tasks. <laughs> and she was, they had a conversation about it afterwards saying, really like I was that was not bluffing and the leader realized I shouldn't have sent that email so it's the two really standing in and looking at what's going on and looking at well-being and looking at inclusivity of that human and everything else that's going on around them in their lives right is there a loss in the family is there a flood is there like at my place construction drilling between nine to five every day which is why we're talking first thing in the morning you know it's what's going on in someone's life that they're navigating and do we have room for the strategic deprioritization of things oh i said talk to my daughter i called it strategic reprioritization she's in university and um, one of the, the course load is designed to stress the student population, right? So I had to have a conversation with her reliving my own first year experience where I had to strategically reprioritize, yeah. deprioritize a course to the summer to time manage the load so I could yes. bring more attention and thought to it. Yeah. And instead of failing the first year because of that choice, I had an 85 in the course in the summer. It was knowing the system and parking that drive. I'm not, I'm not a quitter. You know, we have to be, yes, celebrate grit and hustle. Also really look for the people that know and can protect their limits. 
those are the people that are going to be able to go the long haul. Exactly. Exactly. I think that managing the energy piece is so, so, so critical. And again, who cares if you're achieving all those things, if you're completely burnt out and can't enjoy any of it and can't enjoy your life. Right. It's I, I I just, again, encourage anybody listening. And if you are noticing that you are feeling burnout, your health is your wealth. And that is not something you want to be sacrificing for any job, for any organization. And if you are noticing that you feel like that, this is your sign to take a step back and ask yourself some important questions around what's driving that behavior and ultimately where, where's that going to get you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where does the drive come from? And a lot of people who come to me are looking to make sure they are being as effective and efficient as possible. And we find there's a lot of opportunity to manage things in different ways. A lot of it's turning off notifications and getting that 90 minutes to three hours in the day where they can actually get meaningful things done without fragmented, disrupted thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you're just, you're speaking very well as well before to the unplugging piece, right? Because if there is this expectation that every time an email comes in, bing, 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 that's now urgent. That is where you're constantly moving your attention. It's not necessarily urgent, but the email, and now your email owns you then instead of you owning your day. And can we call this out? Can we call this out? Because I just did, there's a, there was a podcasting conference and two weeks before the conference, I got an email and it said, urgent. I'm like, urgent, what? Urgent, here's the information to access the platform where you can start setting up your schedule for two weeks out. I wrote back to them, I said, that was important. It wasn't urgent. And I said, we don't need a call to urgency. This is why CNN is on the news right now for redesigning what they call breaking news breaking news is broken at this point even in canada we're doing the same thing breaking news and it's it's like shut up (laughs) it's like there's a we don't need more stress you know we don't need more stress so are we celebrating are we crafting our communication with thought for neurological safety for not spiking the nervous system and and poking the people are we keeping things calm so we're actually you know, the lie, you know, normally we're designed to respond to threats that were intermittent, not chronic. We've created chronic threat and we need to silence it. When I was giving communication workshops about email, I was, I used to say, put your ping pong paddle down yeah. and the ball stops. Yes. Stops. Yeah. Oh, enjoy the silence. Yeah. Right? You're part of the problem. If you're pinging and ponging, rapid fire, you're not reading the email thoroughly, you're giving a quick response without thinking about it. If we could infuse some patience, the challenge is 300 emails, how can I do that? Well, stop replying all would be probably useful. I I see this in cultures of communities I work with more when I'm speaking and we're setting up the talk and there'll be reply all. And I feel like I need to reply all because they have a culture of keeping everybody in the know. And I'm thinking so many of these emails are just time thieves. Yeah. Time thieves. 
So much opportunity, so much opportunity. So much opportunity. And I, I, and people are going to get to um, have other ways to get to know about you and your work, but um, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave a final thought, whatever is showing up for you right now as a final thought for the audience. Oh, well, thank you. I, I think because this is a passion project and if for anybody who's watching a video, you can kind of see it on screen. I, I had little business cards made up and since I'm not going many places, I feel like I have a fancy dress and know where to wear it. But what I'm showing is happy space and happy space is a movement to inspire a more tender world. And uh, the tagline is everyone deserves a happy space and you can find it at happy space pod dot com because it's the podcast it's also a complimentary and complimentary online community it is a, a quiz there to find out if you are a highly sensitive person as well so if you think this could be you or you think it could be someone on your team it's a fun lighthearted, less than two minutes quiz that people really enjoy their reflection and uh, and there's events and today for example i'm having one of my monthly chats where people come together and we're talking about today about the hsp family so there's lots of opportunity to engage if high sensitivity is something that you want to explore. I'm working largely with HSP professionals now. And the goal is that, you know, we've been, we've been designing the world to get the best from the most and thinking that's fine. Just get the best from the most, but we've been sacrificing the most from some of the best minds. Mm. And I really think it's time to stop. Beautiful. Such, so, such important work, Claire. Um, I encourage everyone to check it out. And is there any other place you want to direct people in terms of your website, Claire? Yeah, well, if you go to happyspacepod.com, it will go to happy space, which is on my website, which is clairekumar.com. So either way, I'm going to try and lead you to some of that work, but you'll see, you'll see everything about speaking and coaching there as well. Amazing. Thank you for being here today, Claire. Thank you for the conversation, Kristen. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking about all your listeners out there and wishing you an awesome day of making beautiful choices. Amazing. And to everyone, wherever you are in the world, we're sending tons of love. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.